Hello and welcome to PodShout. PodShout is a podcast series that will bring to you, our valued listeners, interviews covering a wide range of topics. We have three main channels, property and business. We will bring to you a range of conversations with some of this country's leading property experts and business leaders. Inspiring people. We will bring to you interviews with inspirational individuals from around the world who've achieved greatness and inspire others to do so. And finally, our third channel will be more of a philosophical set of podcasts about life, its challenges, and some of the views from our host Greg Sugar's upcoming book, Life in Twos. We hope you enjoy this series, which is available from wherever you get your favourite podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Podshout, and you can see what's coming up in future episodes. Or come and visit us at our website, www.podshout.com.au. Hi there and welcome to Podshout. I'm your host, Greg Sugars, and this week we're talking with Kent Lardner. Kent's a data scientist and business leader with over 30 years' experience. He's worked for such large companies as Jones Lang LaSalle, CoreLogic and General Electric. He has a passion for property market research, for data analytics, data visualisation. He utilises the most modern techniques of machine learning in unravelling statistics. Today, hopefully, we're going to understand what's happening in the Australian property market. Well, hi there, Kent. Welcome to Podshout. Hi, Greg. Thank you. I'm going to confess something before we even start this interview, Kent. Um, I failed statistics three times at university, so you've got to have to go easy on me today. Oh, will do. <laughs> no, seriously though, um, what led you down the path of becoming a data scientist? I um, was working in marketing and um, I, w- I was thinking about a move across into the financial services sector. So I spoke to a, a headhunter who, who found me a position at a company uh, called Housing Loans Insurance Corporation that was changing names to GE Mortgage Insurance. So they um, they got me a position over there. Uh, and that's when we first met, I think yeah, we're going back yeah. to the late 90s. So uh, I worked in mortgage insurance and at that point we were watching a lot of property valuations flowing through the business. And what I discovered was the necessity for us to better understand property data and property trends and property risk. And back then there were a few companies around doing it, um, APM, Australian Property Monitors, another one called Residex were, were into oh, I haven't heard that name for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so they were really the, the, the early players in the game and, and building the the, the, uh, the AVMs, the automated valuation models and indices at that time. And um, what really prompted me to deep dive and do a little bit more with it was the fact that back then a lot of the mortgage lenders were centralising. So you had a, a flourish of, of new players that, that had all of their underwriting processes in one centre, so doing the whole of the country in Sydney or whatnot. So as a result, the underwriters that were supporting those clients were processing valuations from all over the country, which was quite different from the way it was done a few years prior, which was decentralised and, you know, you were in Brisbane, but you pretty much understood most of the Queensland market if you were a, an underwriter. Yeah, you had that, lo- had that local knowledge. Exactly. So we lost that. So that was probably the prompter for me to say, we need to do a better job of understanding this market risk. And, you know, back then data was 
pretty shallow in comparison to where it is today. Yes. But the needs were the same, which was to quickly understand location-based risk and property risk. Fantastic. And you've now launched uh, a new property market and analytics company called Suburb Trends. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit what you're doing with data now compared to, say, all those years ago? All, all those years back. Well, all those years back, uh, the real estate portals were pretty new. There wasn't a lot of properties that were flowing through to online. So uh, a lot of the, the ads going out there to sell a property in the 80s and 90s were paper-based, and then the online portal started to come along. So probably the biggest change that's happened since then is uh, pretty much every property flows through to a, an online listing. Yeah. As a, res, as a result of that and you know, the, the digital age um, coming about, every property today has a latitude and a longitude if it's got an address on it, et cetera. It's got a sale history that's accessible. Plus, we've got a whole range of other data sets that we can effectively match up to the property and give it some, some extra dimension. So what I'm doing today is a range of things. I use the website as a vehicle to uh, to talk to people, to communicate some of the ideas that I have, to take some data sets that are uh, you know, pretty hard to understand in a spreadsheet for a lot of people, and I put a data visualisation over the top of it and make it entertaining. So I use the website pretty much as a, something to talk to, some uh, a reason for people to reach out and have a chat to me. Um, behind the scenes, I'm doing uh, consulting work. I'm doing machine learning. I've, I've went and taught myself machine learning to back up some of the models that I've created uh, for the automated valuation model side of things. So that's been fascinating, learning some some new tricks in my old age and, um, <laughs> and then merging those together. So your old school techniques of how to match properties and build a a price estimate tool to emulate the way a valuer would do a evaluation and matching that up with some of these machine learning techniques has been the latest thing. Yeah. Um, so, so what I'm, yeah, so most, most of the thing I'm doing is I'm building some databases for people, a lot of uh, activity in the rental space. So I've had a few clients um, um, where I, I build them a national a database uh, and overlay the rental information. That's a big one. Okay. And then other clients who are, are using uh, a lot of the data visualization uh, work, all white labeled for their own for their own use cases. Yeah. So data visualization. I want to pick up on that. You mentioned that just a couple of times in that last answer. I mean, it obviously opens up the. I mean, nobody really wants to sit and look at a spreadsheet all day, and it's it, it, you know you've opened up a completely different audience by this uh, data visualization. Tell tell us a bit how how does that? I mean, it's a, a like a time lapse um, presentation. Well, there's so many different um, uh, options. So the product that I'm using is Flourish out of the UK. So everyone knows of the heat map. They've got heat maps, obviously, but yep. what they've also got is some other derivatives that are geospatial, like a map, but they've got some time series stuff that overlays it. So the map animates in front of you with blips and changes to colour and, and whatnot. So that's mm. one of their products. Another one you've probably seen uh, is the, the race. So it's a bar chart race. Um, yeah. You can take time series data that might spread over a few years and you set it off on this race. And... Uh, 
Um, some people have had some, some tweets that have gone, gone truly viral on the back of these uh, race charts. So I haven't had that success yet, Greg. But no. Well, I, I must admit that's what I saw uh, with one of your presentations was uh, a, a comparison. I think it was about 10 suburbs and the rental performance um, yeah, and to see uh, how that went over the time lapse. And it's really interesting because I think I suppose most people think the whole property, and it's a big big furphy, isn't it, that the whole property market performs the same way um, at the same time. But that's not truth. Well, it drives me nuts that uh, in the media it's often spoken of as the property market, as if it's some singular market. Yeah. There's markets within markets. And uh, obviously we have the, geos the ge geographical areas, and I like to carve them up into what they call a statistical area three, which is uh, an Australian Bureau of Statistics um, term. And it's, it's similar to your local government areas, but uh, they're better sizes for, for our um, st statistical work with property data. So I use these SA3s. And typically what I what I come up with is a, a general statement that there's 500 of these markets that I work with. Um, some, um, some are houses and units and some are just houses because there's not enough units in those SA3s to call it a market. Yep. So I typically work with about 500 uh, markets geographically uh, carved up into obviously uh, houses and units. But suddenly now I've actually um, uncovered a whole new uh, market that I've been looking at, which is the, the government subsidised market, which is the new house and land. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, because you've got government intervention that's throwing all of your numbers, all your forecasts, all your models get tipped upside down. Yeah, okay. And so you can track how those, those that intervention is um, affecting sub-markets just from well, the... Yeah. Well, um, I think probably the opposite of that. Uh, <laughs> you, you find it's very, very hard when there's government interventions. And, for example, with the, with the, the rental moratoriums um, that have been going on, um, very, very hard to predict what's going to happen because the markets haven't been flowing freely. No. Um, so we have to wait until the government actually steps out, especially in some of these rental markets. We need to see the government step out of the market to let the data do its thing. Okay. So you mentioned also machine learning. And, you know, for our listeners, can you explain that concept? Yeah. So one of the things you, you learn in, in statistics in the first year is uh, simple linear regression, putting a line through some dots. Yeah, I learned that yeah. three three times, actually. Yeah, and then when you <laughs> learn that, you move on to multiple uh, regression or multiple linear regression. So typically what the machine learning does, it's um, it, it pretty much like having a, a big team of people who would otherwise build models by hand and letting the machine run off and, and build that. So it's a, a big automated team of people building models for you using that same foundation of multiple regression. Um, but what, they, what these different techniques do quite effectively and quite quickly is they can test where you can split up models and have different decisions or different trees that say, okay, if you're in that, that area over there, build that particular model. Or if you're under this situation where rents are really low, build a model differently there. Yeah. You can carve that up and do that thousands of times and come up with um, a, 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 a lot of different models that effectively all then roll up together into one. So that's kind of the of what I tried to attempt, a poor attempt of explaining it simply. Yeah. But, you know, that's quite a, a handy tool 
to, to test and verify new data sets and to explore a lot of the new data sets that we haven't necessarily used in the past that you would think um, have a, a rather spurious relationship with property information, but are quite significant in these models. Yeah. Part two of today's Podshout interview will be coming up in just a minute. Podshout proudly supports one of the world's most celebrated children's charities, the Christine and Noble Children's Foundation. CNCF is dedicated to serving the physical, medical, educational, emotional needs of vulnerable children. In the 30 years it's been operating so far, CNCF has assisted almost 1 million vulnerable, exploited, abused and at-risk children and their families. If you would like to help, please go to www.cncf.org forward slash donate. Now for part two of today's Podshout interview. And when we talk about property data, I suppose when we first met, there wasn't a lot available and what was available was amazingly expensive. Obviously, that's become more available to you these days. I think the biggest single change to the Australian market uh, uh, was in 2016. Um, Turnbull, uh, Malcolm, what's his name? Malcolm, Malcolm Turnbull, Turnbull, yep. Uh, opened up the um, geocoded national address file, uh, GNAP for short. So effectively, it, you know, we could access then 13 million property address records um, uh, op now made open source as of that time. So what that then did is uh, gave us a, a foundation for building a, proper, a property database, yes. uh, no matter who you are. And then you could overlay that with information, whether that be listing information, rental information or sales information. Mm. And I even see it with my uh, teams in that, you know, say our rural valuers, they can get soil type overlays and um, water um rainfall overlays and things like that that build yeah, onto well, that address. It's amazing. We've got premium data sets from that same government source called uh, PSMA, which is the, the source of that uh, geocoded file. And they've got some premium data sets that are mind-blowing. Um, yeah. Distance to water edge and water's edge and, and, and height and slope of the block, um, yeah. to, name, to name but a few. Yeah. They've also got property level specifics that, that pertain to that, to that address. So you've got um, the building footprint. You know, how, how, how large is the, the building area or the height of the building, uh, if it's got a solar panel, et cetera. So there's some amazing and powerful data sets that are emerging out there. And do you see as those data sets get built, they're going to be more used by people who aren't necessarily property people, but um, how do I... So, for example, in Victoria at the moment, they've just brought in a new legislation about pool fencing, about having to get a permit. But you could probably produce a report which showed every house in Victoria that had a pool, I suppose. Correct. Um, you know, data or big data and machine learning are some hype buzzwords um, that have been around for some time. But as companies start to truly uncover the value of data and understand it, uh, suddenly they start to realise, I can have more of this. Yeah. And I think whilst at the moment, most the average enterprise level client in Australia or customer in Australia, I think is still um, immature when it comes to property information yeah. and I how it can be used. But I think that will change. Mm. Now, let's get on to some serious stuff. I mean, it would be fair to say that every single person in Australia has an unhealthy obsession with 
uh, understanding what their property is worth. And I think you mentioned it before is if they read the newspaper, the, the market uh, allegedly performs as one. But there is a lot of information out there um, to Joe Public now, isn't there? Yeah, well, right down to the individual property price estimate. So obviously that's my background is building some of these uh, automated valuation models. Mm. And we've seen that morph from being a, a, a tool of the trade to a lead generation tool yes. uh, and being used by the real estate board. So if your property is not listed for sale, you'll pretty much be able to find any number of uh, automated valuation models available for free. Mm give you a price estimate for your property but there's a lot more data uh, around and the reason why I selected the brand suburb trends is my view is most people pretty much know what their property's worth and what they're most interested in are the trends that would impact their property today yep yeah and that's good. And that gets on to my next question is what we're living through this, well, certainly here in Melbourne, we have this COVID-19 emergency. What's the data saying about those trends uh, in the market at the moment? How's it behaving? It's, it's behaving um, in a very similar fashion to most cities around the world, which is a bit of a, a flight away from the CBD uh, into the exurbs. So yep. if I were to pick one simplistic uh, answer would be an increase in demand for commutable distance lifestyle locations. Uh, so yep. your Geelongs, your uh, Newcastle, central coast of, of New South Wales or Wollongong, mm. um, and then the outskirts of Brisbane, um, uh, Sunshine Coast, etc. So there's been a, a significant upswing there and that's also been uh, verified by a significant increase in vacancy rates and subsequent price changes for those high-density locations in the cities and in and around universities. Yeah, okay, because that was a question I was going to ask you. Those subset, those sub-markets, like student accommodation, given that the kids haven't been able to go to uni and things like that, that must really be... You must be seeing some detrimental effect in the stats at the moment through those areas and places like Docklands and inner city apartments. Exactly. Um, a lot of landlords are doing it very tough. I know the media does focus on the plight of uh, the tenant and the renters. That I understand that. Yep. But they should equally think about there's a lot of um, a lot of landlords doing it very, very tough. And these, these are often ma and pa people who've... Uh, stretched themselves and they have no cash flow at the moment so um you know the banking uh the banks are really uh controlling the outcome right now uh, mm. if they demand uh payment then there could be a lot of um, people in deep trouble yeah. um, so we, we need to see our, see our way through this and probably we're really lucky that for the you know for the last foreseeable history interest rates are as low as they've ever been and that's probably masking some of the issues at the moment i would have thought in those areas yeah, exactly. A lot of these models that we used to play with um, used uh, interest rates as a variable. And yep. I don't call them a variable anymore because they don't really vary. No, they haven't changed too much, have they? <laughs> no. Um, and, you know, when we talk about the, the market behaviours, um, and I've always looked at... Um, you know, even if we look at somewhere like Perth at the moment, it, it, for the first time in years, seems to be rebounding 
nicely, or well, I say nicely, we've seen some uptick over there compared to where we've seen, which, and that market's now behaving slightly different to, uh, you know, uh, Melbourne and Adelaide. Is that what you're seeing in the data as well? Yes, I have seen some positive stories uh, in and around Perth for houses. For units, I, I generally, I'd say any of the high-density areas are uh, suffering, um, yeah. specifically where rental tenure has been high. So it, it generally goes hand-in-hand, high-density, high-rental tenure. That's a, you know, fairly common. So you know, you, you, you'll find in a lot of these inner CBD areas, um, you know, more than fifty percent of the properties are rental properties. So, you know, in the in the census data, they call it rental tenure. Um, in some spots, it's in excess of seventy percent. Yeah. And typically, right. what we're finding is in these areas where there may have been some uh, Airbnb activity, there may have been a high proportion of overseas students. Um, we've we, we've we've seen those markets hit quite hard. Um, and some crazy stuff you will see is you'll see a, a unit market in the same suburb suffering, but the housing market's held up quite well. Yeah. Well, I suppose if you're in lockdown, you don't really want to be locked up in a tiny space. <laughs> you would like to be at least have some some space around you. Um, and Kent, with the, uh, you know, the for a lot of people in Australia, um, over the last six months, they've been working from home. Yeah. Now, you know, I know that you probably can't see the data on this yet, but what do you, I mean, you're a property expert. What do you think is going to happen? Do you think more people will work from home moving uh, forward? Yeah. Look, I, I ask myself this question every day. Um, what I did literally only yesterday is I, I try and use the, the greater capital city trends as a lead indicator for something that's, that's a macro um, risk or a macro issue. And then I drilled down to what they call the statistical area three and then down again, especially where I pick up a trend at that top level. And what I picked up on, I had a, my hypothesis was that one-bedroom properties, um, people aren't going to be want to locked up in those and they would like to get out into two or three bedrooms if you're in units or preferably get out into houses. Yeah. So what I did at the capital city level is I compared the 12-month the change in one-bedroom units and compared and contrasted that to the three-bedroom. And there was a noticeable drop in the ones but a, uh, a very stable um, pattern in the three-bedroom yeah. units. So that, that, I think, reinforced that hypothesis a little bit that um, – uh, the demand for the larger properties uh, is here now. The question will be, um, you know, in the in the post-COVID era, what will the work from home market look like? Will it be ten percent of people working from home, or fifteen, or twenty? It won't take too much um, increase in people working from home to change the market dynamics for larger properties. Yeah, that's pretty. Um it's a, it, if we got our crystal ball out um, 12 months ago and said what was going to happen, <laughs> how we look now, the world's changed a fair bit. And uh, I know even in the commercial sector at the moment, there's a lot of uh, businesses reassessing their office space requirements and decent, you know, the theory of decentralisation to where their workers live so they don't have to come into the CBDs. And, and it could, be, could have some fairly significant outcomes for the capital cities. Well, I think productivity is the big you know that's the big surprise. I've I've been doing this work from home thing for a long time now. Um, my little 
tidy hole, my work from home office up here in Newcastle with mm. the lock on the outside, my wife locks me in. <laughs> and uh, to me, I can't fathom the lack, the loss of productivity when I go into these offices in Sydney for a day or two yes. with the amount of chit-chat and, you know, yes, I get that you've got to socialise, but, you know, when you come from the environment where you're focused on, on your work in front and you, if you're in a Zoom call or a meeting, you're there to do business, there's a little bit of chit-chat. Yeah. If you go into these office environments, especially this, you know, open band crap that I don't like, and the amount of time-wasting people talking about your lifestyle TV or reality TV for hours on end, <laughs> you know, I, that's what I noticed. Yep. And I think I think this COVID thing and the work-from-home thing is going to wipe that out and replace it with genuine work and productivity. No, no it certainly has changed. Kent, look, I really want to thank you so much for your time today. I think um, what we've uh, learned is... Um, you know some some evidence behind what we might be seeing as uh, some trends that we we've observed ourselves and um good luck now if just for the listeners your website um, suburbtrends.com suburbtrends.com so go and have a look people it's um got some amazing things on there and as kent said there's some great animations it makes data easy even for someone like me who failed statistics three times so thanks for your time kent thank you greg We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Podshout. We look forward to bringing you more episodes in coming weeks and you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Podshout to find out what's coming up. Otherwise, visit our website www.podshout.com.au.